All right. If you have your Bibles, please turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 2 as we continue to work our way through the five exhortations from 1 Peter for our church that we've been going through these past several weeks. And while you turn there, I think it would be helpful to just take a few minutes to remind you of kind of where we have been so far in this series. And so as we've been working our way through this series, exhortation one was a reminder for our church that Christ suffered and we will too. And so during that first exhortation, Pastor Luke showed that in 1 Peter, Peter does not encourage Christians to do whatever they can to avoid suffering. Instead, he repeatedly assures us that we will suffer because we are Christians. And the question that we work through because of that is, how should that shape our thinking about things like COVID-19 or what others say about us because of what we're doing or not doing with things like attending corporate worship, community groups, fellowshipping with one another, showing hospitality, wearing a mask, not wearing a mask, staying home, the list goes on and on. And so we work through that in week one. And another thing that we work through is the difference between being sinfully reckless and taking God-honoring risks. And I think that with the first exhortation, it forced us to consider whether our lives have been marked by recklessness or the avoidance of suffering, fear, whether, uh, and, or, or whether our decisions during this season have been honoring to God. And that, that kind of moved us into week two, where our second exhortation was, church, be holy and do not give in to sin. And that exhortation called for God's people to continue to pursue holiness despite whatever circumstances we may find ourselves in. In. And so the question is, would you say that you have been pursuing holiness, growing in holiness during this season, or that you have been spiritually struggling as a Christian? And then we work through other things like how can attending corporate worship, being actively engaged in the life of the church, help you grow in holiness and fight sin? Pastor Luke mentioned that although people are weighing the physical risks, we also have to weigh the spiritual risks when we don't attend corporate worship and are not engaged in the life of our church. And so he asked us to consider how are we weighing those risks. And then one thing that I found as I've communicated and talked with people throughout these past several weeks is that many people didn't even realize how much they were struggling in this area until they started meeting again with God's people in corporate worship, in community groups, and began to experience the benefits and the grace of meeting together with other Christians. And so that was the second exhortation. And then the last week's exhortation was, Church, fear God and honor the emperor. And in that sermon, we kind of walk through what it looks like to fear God and yet at the same time seek to honor those who have been given an authority over us by God. And we work through the connection between those two things and also it caused us to consider, is there ever a time that we need to disobey those in authority over us, such as the government, uh, in order to remain obedient to our greatest authority, Jesus Christ? 
Christ. And so that's kind of where we've been the past several weeks, and that leads us to where we're at this morning. And so our question this morning is this, because of all that is going on around us, because of the things that have been taking place these past several months, has our mission to glorify God by proclaiming the gospel, making disciples, and treasuring Christ above all changed? Has that mission changed? Because of our circumstances, is this a season where we need to think differently about the mission that God has called us to as a church? And so these are some of the questions that we're going to be working through this morning. In order to do that, I want to read from 1 Peter chapter 2. We're going to be in verses 1 through 10. And so if you're able, please stand with me as we read God's word together. 1 Peter 2, starting in verse 1. So put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. As you come to him, a living stone, rejected by men but in the sight of God, chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house, to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God, through Jesus Christ. For it stands in Scripture, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So the honor is for you who believe, but for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone, and a stone of stumbling, and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. This is God's word for his people. You may have a seat as we go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we see very clearly in this passage that we just read who you have made us to be. And we also see clearly how we are called to live because of who we now are through Jesus Christ our Lord. And yet, Father, we confess that we often make excuses, get lazy, become sidetracked, walk in fear, whatever it may be. There are so many things within our hearts and within our surroundings, our circumstances that cause us to be tempted to shrink back from being and doing what you have called us to be and do. And yet we see clearly in Scripture, you have commanded things. You exhort us. You call us into a lifestyle of glorifying you in all that we do. Father, we need your help as we seek to do these things. Daily temptation comes at us. Daily we are, we are tempted to shrink back, to get distracted. We need your help. 
And Father, we know that when we ask for help, you help us. You, you have given us your spirit to guide us. You give us your word to inform and instruct us. Make us dependent upon those things as we seek to glorify you. Father, if there's anybody in here this morning who is walking through a season of apathy, walking through a season of laziness, may First Peter exhort, encourage, rebuke where needed these people that they might lift their eyes from the things that are going around to look to your glory and your beauty and your majesty and be rejuvenated to, to live and do what you have called us to do. We ask for your help in these things as we seek to understand them from your word. And we pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Now, as we read the passage this morning, there's a lot that is going on in our passage this morning. But what I want to do primarily is look at what this passage reveals to us about the purpose for which we exist as God's people. And so we're going to kind of do more of a big picture look at the passage so that we can discern what Scripture has to say about God's purpose for our church And so in order to do that, I want to point out two verses in the passage that I think will serve as a foundation for the the rest of the passage. And so if you want to look back down at your Bibles and reread with me these two verses. And the first verse is verse 5. It says, You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. If you want to move down a few more verses, in verse 9 it says, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. And so in both verses, Peter's describing the church in two ways. First, he's describing who we are. And then the second thing he's doing is he's describing what we are to do because of who we are. Can you see that as we look at the the verses? In verse 5, who are we? It says we are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood. And then in verse 9, Peter describes Christians as a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. This is who we are as God's people. This is what Christ has made us to be through his work on the cross for all who trust in Christ. And that that leads us to answer the second question that these verses address. What is our purpose? As we, as we look at the, the facts of Scripture about who we are as God's people, what is our purpose? Again, verse 5 and 9 provide us insight into the answer of that question. And so in verse 5, it states that we exist to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God. And then as we go move down to verse 9, it expounds upon that And I think the reality becomes very clear. It says that you may proclaim 
the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. And so as we bring all of that information together, we have been made into a priesthood of believers. We are being built into a spiritual house so that the excellencies of Christ might be proclaimed through us. This is the purpose for which we exist. We exist as a church to proclaim the excellencies of Christ. And so we've been going and working our way through these exhortations from 1 Peter. And the ex- exhortation for our church this morning is this. Church, we must keep proclaiming God's excellencies. And this is true whether we're old or young, whether we're rich or poor, whether we're lying on our deathbed or at, in peak physical condition, whether, whether you've been a Christian for 20 years or 20 mission, minutes, this mission, this purpose does not change for our church and for you as an individual believer. And the Bible, it makes this very clear as we think about all that's going on around us and as we consider how we are to respond, whether we're way over on one side and we think that this whole thing is a hoax or we're all the way on the other side and we think that this is a very dangerous circumstances in which we are living, it does not matter what side you land on this morning. Our opinions can change. But what does not change is the fact that Christ is our cornerstone and our mission is to proclaim his excellencies. This is extremely important for us to consider this morning because my fear is that during this season, many of us have lost sight of the purpose that we have as individual Christians and as a church. And and we simply cannot afford to do that because there are far greater things at stake. If you've been with us for any particular amount of time, you know that we have made a habit here at Woodridge of reminding you often that we exist as a church to glorify God by proclaiming the gospel, making disciples, and treasuring Christ above all. And the reason that we do that is not because we, we feel like we need to have some cool, catchy phrase that sounds good, it's attractive. We do it because we believe that this is the highest calling that Christ has for us as a church. We have an obligation to make much of the name of Christ, to glorify God because this is the very purpose for which we were created and is the very purpose for which we have been saved. And as you think about that, everything else in our lives must take a back seat to that. The Bible does not present this purpose as a recommendation. This is a command given by God to God's people for the glory of his name. And so to not do so is not an option for our church. But I think what we often do is we respond to our our circumstances as if this exhortation from Scripture is more of a, a suggestion. As if we can get around to it when it's convenient for us or when we have a little bit more free time. And so we might say things like, well, let's just wait this thing out. Or, 
I have to make sure, I have to focus. My, pri- pri- my main priority right now has to be on staying healthy. Or, or let's take COVID out of the picture completely for a second. We might say other things like, life is just too busy for me right now at work. And so maybe when life slows down a bit, or we're about to have a baby, and so we're, we're just going to take the next few months to just kind of figure life out. Or this is a personal favorite of mine, uh, because I fight against this every year as the leader of our community groups. It's summer. So our time is too full with vacations, kids' sports programs, camping trips, various other plans. And so we begin to do things like taking an extended break from community group as if there are seasons of life where it is not as important for God's people to be doing what God has called them to do. And yet this is not the language that we find in Scripture. And I, I, I say this out of love. I do not, I, I've searched my heart. I do not think, I do not believe that this is out of anger. It's out of love. But your health is not ultimately more important than the command to proclaim the excellencies of Christ. Taking a few months off to adjust to a baby does not negate what God has called you to do. The busyness of a job should never be a greater priority than the commands of Christ. Now, I don't want you to hear what I'm saying and think that I'm saying that that doesn't mean that we shouldn't seek to stay healthy or that we don't take steps to adjust to life with a newborn. We can absolutely do that. There's wisdom in those things. And I'm also not saying that, that you're in sin if you miss a Sunday or two during the, su- during the summer or if you miss a few of your community group meetings. I, I personally know of some, some people in our church this morning who aren't with us because they have made special plans this weekend to disciple their children in a very unique and special way. And they're probably, as, as I preach, listening to the live stream right now, and I think their desire to disciple their children, children this weekend is a good thing. And it's a good reason to, to not be here this, particularly, this particular weekend because they have this unique, wonderful opportunity. But what I am saying is that if health or vacation or sports or whatever else, fill in the blank. If those things begin to become your top priority in life, above all other things, what is your life proclaiming? Are you proclaiming that Christ is your greatest treasure or your health? Are you proclaiming that Christ is your greatest treasure or the freedoms of summer? Whether we like it or not, we are constantly proclaiming a message to the world around us. And my question for you this morning is this. Does your life show all of the people around you that Christ is excellent? Do the decisions that you make, the words that you speak, the priorities that you have, proclaim that Christ is indeed your greatest treasure? Church, we are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, so that, 
we might proclaim the excellencies of him who called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once we were not a people, but now we are God's people. Once we had not received mercy, but now we have received mercy. And I'm not saying that we shouldn't or we can't place value on other things. But what I am saying is that our lives should reflect that no other treasures in this life come close to the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, our Lord. And as we begin to to grow, to treasure Christ above all, as we begin to grow, to make the mission that Christ has for us our greatest priority, suddenly evangelism becomes the natural outcome. Because rather than the fear of man becoming our priority, the desire to make Christ known becomes massively more important than what somebody might think of me because I tell them what they don't want to hear. Suddenly, discipleship becomes a priority because rather than seeking to to just go home after a long day at work and isolate ourselves from others, get rest, our desire is that our brothers and sisters in Christ come to treasure Christ the same way that we have. And so we sacrifice. Maybe, maybe after a long day's work, we, we still go out and meet with somebody because we know that they need encouragement, exhortation, help, prayer, whatever it may be. We can't help but proclaim with our lips and demonstrate with our lives that Christ is Indeed, our, uh, our excellent, most valuable treasure. This is what we are called to as a church. Our mission has not changed during this season. It will not change in future seasons. Now, I think that I've, I've driven home the point enough that we can, we can kind of move on to consider a few other things because I also recognize that people are all over the place when it comes to how we are to respond in wisdom, how we are to respond in love during this season. I recognize it is not easy at times to know what to do. We're getting different information from different sources. We hear different stories. We have different experiences that shape our understanding of our situation. And so my goal here is not to convince you that one side is right and the other side is wrong. Okay, I think there's, a, there's, a, there's room for some of those arguments, those, those discussions, but that is not my goal this morning. Instead, I want to help us think through what it looks like to obey this command of Scripture in such a way that does not compromise our mission to proclaim Christ's excellencies. And so our opinions can be way over on one side of the argument. And, and in the midst of that, we can respond wrong or we can respond right. And at the same time, our opinions can be way over on the other side. And yes, at the same time, we can respond wrong or we can respond in a godly manner to our situation. And so what I want to do with the rest of our time this morning is just lay before you a few other thoughts from the passage that I think will help guide how we think about these things this morning. Because because we get bogged down 
by all of the voices and the concerns coming at us from so many directions. I think it's helpful for us to look at, at some of the principles, some of the teachings that we find in this passage. And because we get bogged down, I think it can often make it far easier for us to just back off from what Christ has called us to do. And so let's look at the passage again this morning in verses 1 through 3. We'll start there and then we'll kind of move on as we work our way through the passage, kind of a big picture view. Starting in verse 1, it says, So put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation, if indeed you, t- you have tasted that the Lord is good. Church, we cannot use this season as an opportunity for division. We cannot give in to the temptation of responding with malice or hypocrisy or slander. To be divided does not show to the world or to ourselves that Christ is excellent. Instead, it shows that our personal opinion or our personal convictions are what we find excellent. And so I may personally land farther on the side that this this COVID scenario isn't as big of a deal as we originally thought it was. However, in the midst of all that, as as I work through that in my own heart, I have to confess, as I read this passage, there have been times that my opinion has caused me to do the exact things that verse 1 commands me not to do. And the problem is that I know that I'm not alone in that. Whether, whether you land on this side or this side, I know that I'm not alone on that. There's this temptation for division in the midst of these things as our personal opinion becomes elevated above the things that we see clearly in Scripture that God has called us to do. And we can't go there because the excellencies of Christ are at stake when we get caught up arguing about far less excellent things. Instead, our top priority should be to continue to feed, as it says in these verses, on the pure spiritual milk. To feed on the gospel so that we might grow up into salvation as we continue to taste the goodness of God and display it to those around us. And so we can't get bogged down by arguing about the effectiveness of masks or whether it's loving or not to wear, loving or not to wear one or to not wear one. We we can seek to use wisdom in those things, but ultimately, does our life show that we are trusting and treasuring Christ above all? That is the main question. And even as I was thinking about that this week and working through, I, I... I think I'm not alone. My heart is convicted that so much of of our time is spent talking about and arguing about these things. And I know I've been guilty of just that fact. And and my heart is convicted because there lies in this season a temptation for us to, to, to go down that path and, and to, to be drawn away from the things that are to be of utmost importance and priority in our lives. And we cannot 
get bogged down by the others. And so we can seek to use wisdom, but does our life show that Christ is our greatest treasure? The mission that Christ has for us is our top priority. Because I think that even if you're absolutely right, so we, we have these arguments, and even if you're absolutely right in your opinion, whether it's dangerous, whether it's not dangerous at all, your life will be a testimony to the things that you value most. And so we look at examples in Scripture. Paul was absolutely certain that walking into a new city to proclaim the excellencies of Christ to those around him would result in being beaten, thrown in prison, or possibly even killed. We look at the example of Christ, who was absolutely certain that his ministry would lead and result in crucifixion. And yet, what do we look at these men? For, For Paul, to live was Christ, and to die was gain. For Christ, his words were, not my will, but yours, Father. And so, Think about this with me for a moment. You can be 100% correct in your assessment of how dangerous this season of life is or how dangerous it's not, and yet we can absolutely be wrong in our response because danger or no danger does not change or dismiss the mission that Christ has called us to. And so we need to remain unified as a church despite our differences of opinion because we need one another as we seek to glorify God with our lives. And in the midst of that, I'm not saying we can't have discussions. I think that it's appropriate to talk through if if somebody's living in excessive fear. I think it's appropriate to talk and work through those things. I'm not saying that we can't have those discussions at all, but that in the midst of them, we cannot get bogged down simply with the arguments because there are far greater things at stake. We need to remain unified because we need one another as we seek to carry out this mission. And, and that, that kind of leads us into uh, the next few verses where I want to make just one final observation. And so look with me once again at the text at verses 4 through eight. It says, as you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in Scripture, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So the honor is for you who believe, but for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone, and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. And so once again, I'm not getting into the, the, the details of the passage, but instead we're looking at the big picture, the overflow, the, the, the flow of the passage. And so do you hear the language in this section? With Christ as our cornerstone, we are being built into a spiritual house. And this mission that God has called us to is something that we are called to do in the midst of community. 
Yes, we proclaim the excellencies of Christ as individuals, whether it's to our families or in our jobs or to our neighbors, but at the same time, we are also called to grow into the community that Peter describes here as a spiritual house. And I think Pastor Luke is is probably going to get into this a bit more next week with our final exhortation. And so I'm not going to get into too much detail here, but I just want to remind you that we are indeed united as citizens of another kingdom. Christ has not just saved us from something, but he has also saved us into something. We are now a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, and we absolutely need one another. That is community language. And as I was thinking about that this week, rather than trying to figure out how to uh, uh, describe this and make the argument in my own words and potentially get into some of the things that we might be getting into next week, 1 Corinthians 12 came to mind. And, I, and, and rather than just laying out the argument myself, I, I, I want to read through a, a section of 1 Corinthians 12 that I think will, will encourage our hearts as we think about these things. And so if you want to turn with me to 1 Corinthians 12, we're going to read verses 14 through 26 and look at the language of what it looks like to be a part of the body of Christ, to be built up into a spiritual house. In this section, it uses the, the language of members of, uh, of a body, uh, but it's the same teaching. Starting in verse 14, it says, For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, Because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, Because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose. If all were a single member, where would be the body? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. Verse 21, The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor. And our unpresentable parts are are treated with greater modesty which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Church, we have been given a mission And we need one another as we seek to pursue that mission. And so as we begin to to kind of wrap things up this morning, I want you to consider a few things. Has COVID, or, or, or perhaps the real question is, has anything in your life given you an excuse to be lazy and apathetic to the mission that God has for our church? For those who currently feel that it's wise for them to remain apart from us for a season, the question I have for you this morning is, 
as you listen in on the live stream, how are you seeking to continue to proclaim Christ's excellencies to those around you? Because whether or not you feel like it's good for you to distance yourselves because of certain health issues, it is never good for you to stop pursuing the mission that Christ has called you to. And so how are you continuing to contribute to the body of Christ despite being away for a season? It may require that you be creative in how you do it, but how are you continuing to pursue those things? And then finally, I would encourage us this morning, all of us, to think about whether or not we have been content to, to simply be hearers of the word and not doers of the word when it comes to proclaiming Christ's excellencies. I've been convicted of this this week. I am not somebody who would naturally, it's so easy for me to, to I, I'm, I'm, I, I'm gifted at avoiding people rather than going up and talking to people. It's not a spiritual gift, so I have to repent of it, but I am gifted at that, and I feel like so many of us are as well. And so this is a time for us to, to repent of that because of the temptation in our hearts to avoid conflict or avoid what others might think of us or avoid the difficult questions of working through how to explain the gospel to somebody who seems to be kind of attacking us or, or seeking to help make us contradict ourselves or whatever it may be. We need to be doers of the word despite the fears, despite the, the lack of what we may feel, the lack of a skill in those areas. We need to be doers of the word when it comes to proclaiming Christ's excellencies. I'm not saying that it's an easy task. Being a Christian calls you to do things that will put you in harm's way. Whether, whether in this country, currently, I don't think there's much physical harm in sharing the gospel. But there may be harm in what people say of you. I think that's increasing in our country. What people think of you, what people call you. Being a Christian calls you to do these things, to put yourself in those positions for the sake of the advancement of the gospel. We're often called to do things that are not popular with the world. And yet we have the high privilege of glorifying God by proclaiming the gospel, making disciples, and treasuring Christ above all. And let me, let me remind you that we do these things not on our terms, but on his terms. And when we see the, the themes of Scripture, it, it becomes clear that it, we, we are called to pursue these things no matter our circumstances, no matter our situation. And so my encouragement for you this morning is to consider that. We cannot let anything stop us from being and doing what Christ has called us to do. There is far too much at stake and my prayer this morning is that many of us, including myself, will wake up to the reality that Christ has commanded us to go and to proclaim. And he has called us as disciples to make disciples. And he has called us to do so in such a way that shows the world that Christ is indeed our greatest treasure. Christ is indeed excellent. Let's pray. Father, we, we have so much to repent of. 
as we look at your word and see what you have called us to do, we recognize that we fall far short of what you have called us to do. And yet, Father, we also recognize there is grace. There is mercy. There is help given to us as we ask and as we seek to pursue and fight to, to get over fears or fight to, to build new habits. So we, we pray for that. We pray for wisdom and discernment as we seek to navigate our circumstances. We pray for unity as a church as we seek to help one another. We pray that your gospel might go forth through, through the proclamation of the gospel, through the lives that we live as people watch our lifestyle and see that Christ is indeed our greatest treasure, may it cause them to glorify you and turn to you as they see the surpassing worth of knowing Christ. Father, I pray that this church in the coming weeks and months and years would begin even more than we have to prioritize these things. Not because we see it as some great strategy to get more people in the door, but because we understand and recognize that you are worthy of all glory and honor and might and power and strength, not only from within, but also from those who have yet to trust in Christ, who are living in rebellion to the things of Christ. You are worthy of their worship as well. Give us hearts sensitive to your call so that we might pursue the things that you have called us to do. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.